the Eighth Circuit Network. We make things. Put them in your brain. Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to yet another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. Funk Radio is my favorite show. I'm glad that we're both here. I'm, uh, my name is Peter. Yeah, because everyone knows that if you're listening to this, obviously it's your favorite podcast of all time. And if we're recording it, it must be our favorite as well. No, I don't I mean, I don't, there's a few that I like better than that. I'm kidding. <laughs> Today, we thought it would be fun to discuss the use of spoken monologue in songs, because especially in Funk and Soul, there's a surprising amount. Yeah. Where, I mean, in these songs, sometimes the main singer begins with just spoken word before they go into actually singing. So it kind of helps either set the mood or tell a story or introduce the theme of the song. But I've noticed it's done a lot more in these genres than, say, other ones like rock i wouldn't say rap because all of rap is kind of monologue yeah that's something that's actually something i was taking into consideration when looking for songs that had these especially ones that we've talked about before with like early rap you have to be kind of you know careful to draw the line between you know what is a monologue versus what is the actual lyrics of the song exactly but in here in these cases the music starts kind of slow or it's kind of building up to the point where the singing does begin the singer starts with saying you know whatever it is that's relevant to the song and usually it's an introduction to what the song is about yeah peter weren't i think in our last episode we talked about early rap weren't you the one that told me that it was either i think it was cameo and a lot of their songs would have like spoken spoken sections in that because they were yeah. in the early 80s that kind of heavily influenced future rappers like um grandmaster flash Mm-hmm. And, and all those guys, because they were the first to do that. Yeah, we actually have a cameo song in this list today. Uh, it's not the first one, so I kind of jumped ahead, but I don't care. Well, why don't we talk about it first? Let's switch it up. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> so yeah, speaking, I guess, in, in diving in here, Cameo is probably one of the most more notable bands to utilize this tactic of spoken word in their songs, and they have it in, in quite in, in a decent amount of them. Mm-hmm. Th- them and uh, Parliament are like the two big ones that always have goofy spoken stuff at the beginning but yeah the, the song by cameo that we particularly wanted to pinpoint in this episode because it has a good introductory spoken thing is the song why have i lost you kind of just to introduce you guys to the, what the spoken word is obviously we can recite it and then we'll play a clip so you can hear them say it too yeah um but in this particular song the spoken verse i guess goes quote let's talk about loneliness you know sometimes they can fool you into believing that you're on top of the world no one can top you or stop you, and everything you've always wanted is right at your fingertips. But, as always, reality steps in and jocks you right back into the present. And all you can do is ask yourself over and over why. What happened to the love that brought us so much joy and happiness? Oh, hey, I know things change. People change. But this hurts. I mean, it really hurts. I guess it all boils down to the fact that we never really knew, knew each other anyway, huh? Yeah, I know. Say, wait a minute. Let me tell exactly how I feel, okay? Yeah. Some of these are actually um, pretty long, and some of them are, are actually really short. Yeah. But yeah, so why don't we listen to the actual clip of the song that has this monologue, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Let's talk about loneliness. You know, sometimes it can fool you into believing you're on top of the world. No one can top you or stop you. And everything you ever wanted is right at your fingertips. But as always... Reality steps in and shocks you right back into the present. And all you can do is ask yourself over and over why. What happened to the love that brought us both so much joy and happiness? Hey, I know things change. 
people change But this hurts I mean really hurts I guess it all boils down to the fact that we really didn't know each other anyway, huh? Yeah, I know Say, say wait a minute Let me tell you exactly how I feel, okay? So that was a clip from Why Have I Lost You by Cameo. The whole song is about this theme, but this he has lost love, fairly obviously, and he's the one who's hurt. And we'll figure out in other songs we talk about in a bit where um, the singer assumes that you have lost love and you're the one who's been, been hurt by this, but in this case, it's actually the singer himself. An impression I kind of got from this, it kind of sounds like almost a stream of consciousness letter that he wrote to his woman that he lost and has a lot of things that he didn't get, really get the chance to say to her. Yeah, it's like his thoughts are kind of pouring out of him, like stream yeah. of consciousness, like you said. Yeah, he's kind of reflecting back on what happened and these are his feelings. And I kind of got the impression that he's not really getting the chance to even try to fix things anymore, but oh well, I guess that's how it goes sometimes, which is kind of too bad. Yeah, yeah. If we want to kind of tie this in with what I was talking about a second ago, we could talk about another another song called Everybody Plays the Fool by The Main Ingredient. Now, here is an example of a song, like I said before, the singer actually calls out the heartbroken listener, which can be you if you're listening, and if you're heartbroken, happen to be. And he almost like he almost like rebukes you for your overreactive response to losing love. Yeah. Uh, it's it's yeah. kind of funny. The moral of the song itself is that everybody at some point is going to be at the butt end of a breakup or an unrequited love or something. You know, I think overall the message of the song, you know, don't feel too dumb because it pretty much happens to everybody. Yeah. And it's also not a big deal because it happens all the time. Exactly. The singer, whereas sometimes usually, like exactly in the previous song, Cameo, the singer is the one that's heartbroken. In this one, the musicians are giving advice to those listeners who are heartbroken. Yeah. It's kind of a, a change, a nice change of pace. You don't see that as often. Mm-hmm. Where the band's like, yo, you stop being so heartbroken, you fool. <laughs> Go get a milkshake and watch Sleep Business yet. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a good point, because I think most most of the time, the singer is like, oh, I'm sad because she left me or he left me. And I think the listeners expected to relate to that um, in that way rather than them actually talking to you specifically. Yeah, I mean, as specifically as possible. They just call out people by name. They could, they could produce custom records for each person who buys it because oh you have gosh. to you have to wait four to six weeks for them to record that little bit at the beginning. Yeah, for you specifically. Or like, or like you know when you go to like those really cheesy like ga- like highway gas stations and you can get custom stuff for like that has like your name on it oh, and yeah. it's just a big rack full of like generic names. They have that. They have that for like records. They just have a bunch of generic names, and then some guy comes in. He's like, "Man, they never have Vladimir." <laughs> the thing, as you were saying, they kind of rebuke the listener a little bit in the, I guess, entrance to their song. The main singer says, "Okay, so your heart broke. You sit around moping, crying, crying. <laughs> you say you even think about dying. Well, before you do anything rash, dig this. I think I actually did that pretty well." Yeah. The song is very famous because, uh, partially because of that little like intro segue, because even because mm-hmm. these guys were around in the early '60s, so very few people kind of did that back then. Yeah. So then, obviously, the song goes into the whole chorus and people being sad for no reason or overreacting to lost love. So I guess the moral of the song is that everyone everyone goes through these feelings and they're just trying to comfort someone, being like, you know, you're not the only person to feel this way. Everyone has before. Just yeah. move past it. 
as best you can. And yeah. it's a catchy song, too. So It's very catchy. We, we, we've talked a bit about this, but we haven't actually listened to the clip yet, so uh, why don't we go ahead and listen to the main ingredients recitation okay. of this monologue. <laughs> The next one that we could not talk about um, monologues without is the song Patches by Clarence Carter. Probably his most famous song, if not like second most famous. It's basically a, it's sort of like in the, the entirety of the song, he's telling this story about how his father was a very hardworking man who sacrificed everything in his life to make ends meet for his family. And then once his father passes away, that mantle is then passed to the son, presumably Clarence. And it's a, it's really an emotional song because it packs a lot of like real sincerity and somberness into its delivery because it's kind of, it's there's a chorus obviously but then each verse progresses in the telling of this tale of like this hardworking man who does everything he can to get by and help his family despite being uneducated and then he passes that work ethic along to his son yeah and must kind of become the new head of household well and the and the whole chorus patches I'm dependent on you son I mean that's all said from his father's deathbed so basically when his father dies patches the main character of the song has to become basically the father figure of the family and work the fields and support his whole family when he's only well he's like 13 or something in the song i don't remember exactly yeah, some, some some young age maybe 15 or something but um it's just almost pretty much to pretty much to the breaking point um mm-hmm. where you know he has all this pressure on him but he has to remember the kind words of his father to help him keep moving on yeah he should have listened to a little bit of everybody plays the fool after that he would have felt better <laughs> Do we know that if this song is in any way related to Clarence Carter's actual childhood? Or I just... actually looked this up because I was wondering that. Actually, it was not originally sung by him. This is actually a cover. What? By, oh, the chairman of the board. Oh. Um, it's actually a song by them originally, which I had no idea. And two of the main people from that group wrote this song together, and it's actually a fictional song. Oh. So, so they, they they didn't actually even. Come. So it was that was never actually based on an actual okay. thing officially anyway. The funny thing is that most people do actually assume that Clarence Carter is singing about his father and his real life. Yeah, cause he, because it's so well known to and it's connected to him. Yeah, that would that would that would be we had a long time ago. That would be that would be a good example of a song that uh, cover was much more famous than the original. Yes. Well, see, we didn't we didn't even know it was a cover. That's how. Yeah. No, I I honestly did. Famous was another. I wouldn't say fun fact, another fact we learned about Clarence Carter um, that we never knew, despite always raving about him, was that he was blind, basically, I think, from birth. Yeah, well, because, like, looking back, in all the videos I've seen of him, he's always wearing those big sunglasses, so I guess I just, I thought he was just wearing them to be cool, I I never put together that connection. Yeah. But I think that gives me, actually, more more respect for him. Mm Mm-hmm. I got a fun fact about Patches here. It says um, Patches was inarguably Carter's biggest hit, which reached the UK number two and the US number four in all songs. Um, I guess their top top charts, not just R&B. 
And the record, the record, the patches is on. Uh, actually, ended up selling over one million copies and received a gold disc award. Nice. Uh, and was won the Grammy Award for best R&B song in 1971. Nice. So very, very much recognition for him for that song because, cool. as you said, it is so well done and so emotional that yeah. it's really, it makes you sad. Yeah. Um, well, we've been beating around the beating around the patches uh, a little bit <laughs> too long. <laughs> Let's get into actually the monologue part of the song, which is in the beginning, like the rest of them. And with the monologue uh, that he speaks, he says, quote, I was born and raised down in Alabama on a farm way back up in the woods. I was so ragged that folks used to call me patches. Papa used to tease me about it because deep down inside he was hurt because he'd done all he could. My papa was a great old man. <laughs> my, pop, my papa was a rolling stone. <laughs> <laughs> Part of the reason that people believe that Clarence Carter wrote and sung the song about his actual father, uh, he actually was from Alabama, but despite popular belief, he did not grow up on a farm, and his father did not die when he was young, so... Oh, see, I was going to ask if his father passed away at a young age, because then that would at least provide some emotional context. No, I was reading a fun fact that he knew people who lived on farms and were rather poor and his grandfather died when he was young so oh, okay. i guess he so could guess... pull things from that i guess not yeah. precisely but close enough yeah well good stuff should we actually um, listen to a, a clip of this before we move on i think we should listen to a little clip of patches yeah i was born and raised down in alabama on a farm way back up in the woods i was so ragged that folks used to call me patches papa used to tease me about it because deep down inside he was hurt because he'd done all he could Clarence Carter is one of my, uh, even though he's kind of fairly unknown, I guess, in the R&B realm, he is probably one of my favorite R&B artists just because he has so many varying good songs. He's got Patches, he's got Strokin. Yeah. That's about it. Hold on, let me see. There was one other one. I'm trying to think of what it is. Uh, Uneasy. I think that was a cover. That's a cover. The There's another, I think, I think it was an original song that he did that I like. Uh, Slip Away. Slip Away, that's the one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, where he's like, slip away, slip away, yeah. Roughly. <laughs> I cannot sing, but I try. <laughs> Coming up next is a song by a group that you actually mentioned a few minutes ago, Kyle. The group is Parliament. They're really big on like the, the sci-fi funk mythology type thing. Really bizarre, but also very famous. And the song that we actually want to talk about is called P-Funk Wants to Get Funked Up. And P-Funk is short for Parliament Funkadelic, which was um, the super band that Parliament was half of, I suppose. Hard well, to explain. We kinda, yeah, we kind of dove into it before, but it's still very confusing. Basically, at, at one point, there were two bands, Funkadelic and Parliament, and then some of the members from each of those crossed and decided rather than just renaming themselves, they were just going to make Parliament Funkadelic, and they were kind of this super group of like a ton of band members. Yeah, and they're famous for such... Music legends as George Clinton and Bootsy Collins, among several others in that group, because there's a lot of pretty high-profile people in that collection. Like I said, P-Funk wants to get funked up. Now, the intro to this song, rather than being communication with the listener in that context of Lost Love or you know, telling a story or something like that, basically this is setting the mood and the theme for this song in the whole complete bizarre sci-fi funky world that they established for most of their songs. 
I it's funny. This might make a good episode, uh, a good thing for a five minute funk. But I came across an article describing what influenced George Clinton specifically with his very otherworldly view and like his constant motif of like aliens and outer space and spaceships. Mm. It's really interesting. Mm. I mean, I won't go into it because it's kind of convoluted, but um, that might be something we might funk about later on. I love funking about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna read this somewhat long, bizarre monologue from the beginning of read the song. It, read it exactly like George Clinton. No. <laughs> Good evening. Do not attempt to adjust your radio. There is nothing wrong. We have taken control as to bring you this special show. We will return it to you as soon as you are grooving. Welcome to station WEFUNK, better known as WeFunk, or deeper still, the Mothership Connection, home of the extraterrestrial brothers, dealers of funky music, P-Funk, Uncut Funk, The Ball, coming to you directly from the Mothership. Top of the chocolate Milky Way, 500,000 kilowatts of P-Funk power. So kick, pack, dig, while we do it to you and your eardrums. And me, I'm known as Lollipop Man, alias the long-haired sucker. My motto is, then it goes into make my funk the P-Funk. I'm once to get funked up. up. Yeah. Actually, let's listen to the actual song monologue of this, and then we can talk about it. Good evening. Do not attempt to adjust your radio. There is nothing wrong. We have taken control as to bring you this special show. We will return it to you as soon as you are grooving. Welcome to station WEFUNK, better known as We Funk, or deeper still, the Mothership Connection, home of the extraterrestrial brothers, dealers of funky music, P-Funk, uncut funk, the bomb. Coming to you directly from the Mothership. Top of the chocolate Milky Way, 500,000 kilowatts of P-Funk power. So kick back, dig, while we do it to you in your eardrums. Oh me, I'm known as Lollipop Man, alias the long-haired sucker. My motto is... So there you go, you get a little good slice of P-Funk's uh, strange sci-fi slash funk identity. And a little bit, a little peek into their mythology, which transcends most of their music. It's kind mm-hmm. of funny. It pre- kind of prepares the listener for the experience that the music provides. Because really, I mean, I can really cannot think of anything that's quite like... They, they were definitely, from a musical standpoint and a musicianship standpoint, they were incredibly groundbreaking. Yeah. They, even they, today, I can't really think of anything that's similar. They, everyone, everyone always note, denotes, you know that band Kiss? Yeah. They always denote Kiss as the band that kind of invented the grandiose, you know, stage performances with explosions and props. And, mm-hmm. and P-Funk did that far before they did, because... P-Funk was around all the way into the mid to almost early 70s when Kiss didn't even come around until late 70s. Mm. And P-Funk did it much earlier and I think much better than Kiss ever did with their grandiose. They had like gigantic like prop spaceships that the singers, uh, that the band members would come out of. They had fireworks, pyrotechnics. <laughs> it's the craziest stuff you could think of. Yeah. I think even though like some of the group still tours today, I don't think they, I don't think they have the energy to still carry out these things in the same way that they did in their heyday. Yeah, uh, which is too bad because I think that would be an amazing experience. And people that recall, you know, going to their concerts in the '70s say it was just like the most fantastic thing ever. Mm. Uh, so that's cool. That's cool. It's also worth noting with this song that the monologue actually it's not only at the beginning it picks up and continues several times throughout the song it's basically a back and forth between this monologue style and the refrain which is actually the only part of the song that's sung Hmm. so i mean you could argue that this is a precursor to uh, hip-hop as well i can dig it 
where it's kind of a more spoken passage slash poetic thing rather than actual singing. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, hip hop, I mean, that, as roots, that's what it is. It's poetry. Exactly. It's so it's funky poetry. Yeah. Like I said, combined with Pan- Cameo and P Funk, since they were kind of the big major funk players, a ton of their songs have this sort of mono- monologue style spoken word, and it's pretty fun because you don't see it a lot except for in genres like this. Mm-hmm. The next song that we wanted to talk about, uh, because we did just talk about Parliament, is their sister group, Funkadelic. And specifically well, their song... Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> specifically their hit song, Maggot Brain. Now, with Funkadelic, they were actually originally formed as the musical backing group for the Parliaments, which was founded by George Clinton in 1964. They just weren't called Funkadelic, and then they split off because there was a controversy with the fact that they named themselves the Parliaments because there's another band named that. So they broke up. One was, not broke up, but like kind of split. One was Funkadelic. One was Parliament. It gets complicated. But anyways, um, Funkadelic, of those two, initially was kind of the more influenced in the oddities of, you know, space and mm-hmm. new age, new age thinking. Yeah. And you can definitely see how that, that group specifically in, uh, affected Parliament Funkadelic when they formed the supergroup. And also, just for for context for the listeners, Funkadelic is actually a lot more the 70s rock sound mm-hmm. um, versus Parliament. It's psychedelic rock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There was that, you know, Jimi Hendrix and all those guys. In the, yeah, in the it's, it's in that same line, so. The Especially the 70s. Exactly. But yeah, they, their, first, their first album that they released was called Free Your Mind and Your Ass Will Follow. Brilliant. <laughs> and then their second album, which was released in 1971, was called Brain which this title track obviously comes off of. Interesting fact regarding the song, I guess Maggot Brain was actually the nickname of their guitar player, Eddie Hazel, who sadly died of a drug overdose. Is he the, is he the one who plays on this song? He must be. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I guess, their nickname that they gave him, and that's why it's called Maggot Brain. I guess, with, <laughs> this is kind of funny, according to legend regarding the song, George Clinton, while under the influence of LSD, told Eddie Hazel during the recording session to, uh, to imagine that he had been told his mother was dead, but then learned that it was not true. The result was a 10-minute guitar solo in which Hazel is most fondly remembered by many music critics and fans. Though several other musicians began the track playing, Clinton soon realized uh, how powerful Hazel's solo was and faded them out as to focus the, so that the focus would be on Hazel's guitar. Mm. Um, critics have described the solo as, quote, lengthy, mind-melting, and an emotional apocalypse of sound. Which is absolutely that's spot on. A pretty good way to say it, yeah. So that's, I guess, a little bit of background about this song. But it is basically a ten-minute guitar solo. But in the very beginning, as with all the other songs, there is a spoken word part, which makes no sense whatsoever. But it, you can definitely see that new age thinking that would later influence Parliament. The spoken part at the beginning of the song says, "Quote: Mother Earth is pregnant for the third time. For y'all have knocked her up. I have tasted the maggots in the mind of the universe. I was not offended." For I knew I had to rise above it all, or drown in my own shit. And then it goes into the crazy guitar solo that lasts for ten minutes. Definitely an amazing song, amazing instrumental track. So let's listen to a little clip of the beginning of the song, so you can kind of get the psychedelic sense that kind of has viewed the entire lengthy track. So this is Maggot Brain by Funkadelic. In case you didn't figure that out. Mother Earth is pregnant for the third time. For y'all have knocked her up. I have tasted the maggots in the mind of the universe. I was not offended, for I knew I had to rise above it all, 
or drown in my own shit. For as bizarre as the message is, I did do some research to try to figure out what they were talking about. Still, not at all. Um, <laughs> Even in the description of the song, it didn't like mention like what the hell were they talking about. Yeah, I mean, the best I could come up with was that it's a message concerning the state of our world society. Because I me mean, at the time, you know, we had war and riots and racism and all that kind of stuff pulling our society apart. And I think it's a lot of it's kind of a self-reflection on society and it's kind of a non-literal way of saying, you know, the world is a messed up place and, you know, we've experienced a lot of these bad things and we need to make it better or it's going to basically be our own destruction. I mean, that's one way to look at it. Makes sense. Commenting on, especially in the early 70s with the Vietnam War, stuff was going to hell. So kind of commenting on the very dark direction the world was going and with the whole, you knocked her up. So she's pregnant with, vi- pregnant with violence probably, I assume, was their metaphor. Something like that, yeah. Interesting. Um, I can definitely see that interpretation being correct with regarding their political views and their very out there New Age LSD infused, yeah, <laughs> infused infused thinking. Exactly. So, um, awesome song, awesome band, kind of sacrilegious. I almost almost liked them more than Parliament Funkadelic. I know that sounds bad. Yeah, that's good. They're both good bands, and there's kinda, a lot of crossovers. So. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover, but I just like their more edgy psychedelic hard sound whereas parliament was awesome but seemed much more produced that makes sense it's like yeah funkadelic was like the garage band version of parliament funkadelic i can see that yeah so um yeah that's all i got on that but it's pretty tasty cool so the next song that we got in our repertoire is um no parking on the dance floor by midnight star it's basically a disco song yeah but it's funny because there's like a little spoken intro into the beginning that kind of gets people in the rhythm of the song and gets them amped to dance, I guess, like, for lack of a better term. Yeah. But it's just really, it's a short couple little lines that's supposed to be like a, like a fake police officer telling people they're not, they're not allowed to not dance. Yeah. And I guess it starts with this thing where it's like, excuse me, madam, you stand still in a no parking zone. If you don't get a move on that body, I'll be forced to give you a ticket. So get with it. Now parking on the dance floor. <laughs> yeah. It's it. The whole song is basically a big pun, yeah, or a play on words, I guess. Yeah, maybe more accurately, where you're not allowed to you're not allowed, park you're your not, booty on the dance floor. Yeah, if you park your booty on the dance floor, do they give you a boot? Because <laughs> you know how they put the boots on the on the wheel when you're in a yeah a booty boot. Have <laughs> you go to the DMV to get it removed? <laughs> oh gosh, let's go ahead and listen to a clip of this little very short monologue from No Parking on the Dance Floor. Excuse me, madam. You're standing still in a no parking zone. You don't get a move on that body. I'll be forced to give you a ticket. So get with it. Something I'm actually liking about this this topic that we're doing today. Yeah. We're talking about certain songs that that are somewhat well known, um, but we're only focusing on one, just one piece of it that people wouldn't necessarily consider talking about. Yeah, they. Which, they... which is that. Like the monologue part. Exactly. Like people don't really go heavily into like dissecting what these monologues mean or how they affect the song. They're just like, oh, that's nice, and then yeah. And, then and in some cases, starts. I mean, it's not that deep. I mean, like with this one. Yeah. And like, it's just it's just kind of getting you it's into ju- the, the mood of the song. How do I put it? It's like kind of breaking the fourth wall for music, where they mm-hmm. they talk or they address for some for in some instances they address the viewer or the, the listener i guess i should say so it's kind of interesting because that you think that's to think that songs can do that and how they kind of use that spoken element to enhance otherwise song and 
deformed pieces. Yeah. And also, obviously, how a lot of this influenced the evolution of hip-hop and rap, because, you know, if they, yeah. did, if they didn't do it in these songs, people wouldn't have been like, hey, I can talk in a song. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. The next song, I guess, that we can talk about after Midnight Star is one of my favorite sexy songs that gets you in the mood, The King of Sex, Barry White. I think that's. What, I think we need to have an episode where we debate who is the king of sexy R&B. Sexy folk. Yeah, sexy, sexy soul music. There are quite a few contenders, and I think there needs to be like a, like a tiered, a tiered battle system, where we have that would be pretty cool. where we have users vote, and then it brings down, and then we can finally decide who is the greatest sex symbol. And maybe, we, maybe we can uh, incorporate our Facebook fans to there we go. help us choose. Yeah, See, we, can, we we interact with you. Yeah, we can have, we can have people vote, and then it can like break it down like a like a tiered, I guess, competition. But anyways, yeah, Barry White definitely incredibly sexy because he is the king of the baritone. The Barry White tone. That was terrible. I know. So the song that we want to highlight with him is his song "My First, My Last, My Everything." In this song, he, there's a spoken part that he speaks over the chorus music, so it keeps the beat of the song, but it's him talking, and he's showing his passion for this woman by reflecting on their successful love. That would also be a further interesting topic. I just thought about this, the contrast between soul artists like Barry White and Al Green, who sing about successful relationships, as opposed to artists that sing about breakups, and which, which is more seductive, I guess. <laughs> I don't think breakups have much of a seductive power, but um, that is an interesting well, point. Which is more, which is more emotional, I guess. I, I guess that's yeah. phrased. Because I mean, I, I would dare to say that the breakup type theme in songs is much more prominent. Yeah. Overall, um, I remember back in high school, we were studying poetry, and the teacher was like, you know, what are the most uh, successful or famous love poems about? And people were like, love. Because they're stupid, because they're in high school, and he's like, and he's like, no, the, the best, the best love poems are about breakups, because uh, they're so much more emotional and emotionally wrecked after a breakup that you pour those emotions into a poem rather than just being like, yay, I'm in a successful relationship. Actually, on that point, I just remembered something. Yes. When I was studying Latin in college, and we had to choose a topic, more more or less, it was individual research um, for our final project. Mm-hmm. And I ended up choosing this guy I discovered. I cannot on the top of my head remember his name, but he's actually really famous for his love poems that he wrote. And basically he has... And he's like, and he's like an ancient Latin poet, correct? Just... Yeah, this was like ancient Rome. Okay. But he has all these writings, I mean, I guess for these feelings he has uh, for this woman who's actually the wife of some... It might have been like some low-level politician or something. But they were friends, and this guy who's the writer, he has really strong feelings for her. And I think they have some sort of relationship of some level, and then she breaks up with him or something. I, I Sorry, I can't remember the specifics, but to me it was really amazing that like the things he was saying and the ways that he was describing, the, the feelings of lost love and everything, it was like, it's precisely the same stuff that people are saying today. It doesn't change. And this was like, and this was like 2,000 years ago, so I mean, it was... It was that was the thing that interested me the most. Mm. Was that like it, it? It has not changed at all. Was how little people's perceptions of love have changed. Yeah, it's it was actually it was pretty interesting in that regard. That is, but getting back to that theme, within uh, Barry White's song, his opening monologue kind of 
is discussing the successful relationship and being like, we're so great together, yay. <laughs> that itself is not the monologue. <laughs> no. It's just, he's just like, we're so great together, yay, and then starts singing. Um, <laughs> in this monologue, he says, we got it together, didn't we? We definitely got our thing together, don't we, baby? Isn't that nice? I mean, really. When you really sit and think about it, isn't it really, really nice? <laughs> I could easily feel myself slipping more and more away to that simple world of my own. Nobody but you and me. We got it together, baby. So that was basically a really long way of saying, yay, we're all awesome together. More or less, yeah. Basically. <laughs> it's pretty repetitive, too. Why don't we listen to Barry White's rendition of that thing that you just said, Kyle? Okay. Uh, he probably said it so much better than I did because his voice is about 20 decibels lower than mine. <laughs> octaves, not decibels. <laughs> we got it together, didn't we? We've definitely got our thing together, don't we? Isn't that nice? I mean, really, when you really sit and think about it, isn't it really, really nice? I can easily feel myself slipping My Last, My Everything by Barry White. So um, it's, it's one of his better songs. I think we would both agree on that. So if you wanted to go check that out and check out his other stuff as well, he's a pretty cool guy. Yeah, he, he definitely in the late 70s was like kind of the king of seductive music because by that time Al Green had had grits thrown on him and Marvin Gaye was kind of out of the scene because he was such an emotional wreck. Mm-hmm. So Barry White kind of took up that mantle. Yeah. He did a very good job. That's true. So what do we got next, Mr. Peter? It's a song called Float On by a group called The Floaters. By Modest Mouse. Yes, that's, that's not the Modest Mouse song. It's actually a different song. Same thing. Um, the Floaters, I don't really know anything about them at all except for this one song. So I can't say too much about them on that end. But um, the interesting thing with this song called Float On is that the monologue not only introduces the song, but um, pops up again maybe three or four times throughout it combines two things that were pretty popular during the 70s, which were astrology and phone dating. So basically what they do is that they use this really smooth, laid-back type of jam to have each of the more four singers of this group each recite to the listener, this is my name, this is my, my star sign, and this is, these are the features that I like in a woman. It's an interesting song. It's pretty chill, so... I'm going to read the one that introduces the song, although, like I just said, there are actually three others that appear in the song for the three other members of the of the group. So the song starts out with a guy saying, Aquarius, and my name is Ralph. Now I like a woman who loves her freedom, and I like a woman who can hold her own. And if you fit the description, baby, come with me. So, should we go ahead and listen to a little clip of this song? Because I'm positive that I did not do it justice. <laughs> I think we should. Okay. So 
that was float on by the floaters little uh, monologue introduction to that kind of reminds me of the song aquarius by the fifth dimension and for some reason astrology was really big in the late 60s so it, it seemed to influence a lot of the music like this and fifth dimension so it kind of i don't know the, the, the one reminded me of the other yeah probably probably simply for that reason as popular as it was in the late 60s and then into the 70s i'm, I'm a little surprised that it hasn't died trans- off transcended into more music uh, at least not in these genres yeah, I did. this time because I mean I don't really hear about it except for maybe these it, two songs. It kind of went in a little bit into disco, but that's about it. Yeah, because rock music didn't really care to discuss the alignment of the planets. Well, actually, well, uh, Led Zeppelin though was pretty out there with the whole cult stuff, so yeah, they kinda, yeah, they kind of dove into that a bit. So, like I said um, when I first introduced this song, I said that this song combines astrology with phone dating, which was also apparently pretty popular. Yeah. During this time, I'm not sure, exactly sure how it worked, but well, remember the late '60s that that was like the first big game show. That game show called the Dating Game. Mm-hmm. So that game show kind of hit off this whole culture of dating that kind of wasn't really seen before that, where you can just talk over the phone and stuff, yeah, and not view the other person. And then that slowly evolved into texting. Not getting yeah, cultural reference to that with that, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's funny because this is one of those songs, as you said, with the concept of phone dating that kind of dates itself because of that because mm-hmm. uh, you know we have facebook and texting and all that crap now so p- the concept of even talking to someone on the phone and not just doing it over skype or whatever is kind of like foreign to most most of those young people i mean i mean you could say it's the the 70s equivalent to um like online dating oh yeah completely completely um it's kind of funny yeah so that's that whole a- anonymous dating has kind of always been there mm-hmm uh, it just evolved, I guess. Cool song, Float On by the Floaters. Not Float On by Modest Mouse, though. You guys should check that out, too. Yeah. It's also good. So this next song that we want to talk about, uh, we're going back into classic soul with Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, who are one of the more famous soul groups of the uh, of the late 60s and the uh, early 70s. And the song is called Be For Real, which I had actually... I don't think I've ever heard this song um, before doing research for this episode. So this monologue is spoken by the group's lead singer teddy pendergrass who later became uh, a solo soul r&b singer and became very famous and could probably actually be in in your little lineup of sexy singers kyle oh of course he's pretty cool so this monologue is from a man's point of view it's kind of sitting his woman down and telling her that he's disappointed in the way that she's always focusing on having the best things for herself and bragging to all their friends that you know, they have a lot of money and they can, you know, buy nice things. And he's kind of sitting her down and saying, you know, come on, be for real. And stop boasting about all this, all these things to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually going to read an excerpt from this because almost the entire song, which is eight minutes long, is him talking rather than singing. And there is, it does get to singing maybe like six minutes into it. But even then, the monologue picks up again. So this is a really early case of a song where almost the entire thing is spoken rather than, Rather than song, which you know at the time I think was really you know just, not that common. this completely reminded me of that kind of off topic. I apologize, but another we didn't he was kind of the king of that spoken word is uh, Gil Scott Heron. I actually did think about because um, basically he was during this for all intents and purposes he was basically a beatnik you know but mm-hmm. to spoken poetry but to music and in the late early like mid to late sixties he was like the king of that stuff. Yeah. Not saying that these guys weren't the first. I was just kind of that. It reminded me of like, oh yeah, Gil Scott Heron did a lot yeah. of that too. So that's pretty. Actually, because cool. he has the famous 
poem, I guess I'll call it, called Whitey on the Moon. <laughs> and I was wondering at some point whether I should include it in this lineup, but since it's basically the whole thing is spoken and it's not really a song in itself yeah. as much, I decided to leave it out. That would be a good thing to talk about. Going Just going into, yeah, going into him, talking about that song, his yeah. life. Pretty interesting. Yeah. So I'm going to read... This, basically the the first you know first verse or so or a couple of verses from the song but obviously i'm not going to read the whole thing the whole song because it's a long song uh, he says hey lady can i say something to you for a minute please no now before you take your coat off that's it i got something to tell you see what i have to say is so very important to our relationship why is it that every time we go out on the town we get around our friends man you're always talking about what you got went out and bought for you how much money i make and what school our children go to, and all the fancy clothes and big pretty cars, and the big diamond rings, and the fantastic mink coats. Is you for real? No, I don't think you are. <laughs> it's kind of unique within the ones that we've been talking about, is where, you know, they have it really good, but then she's bragging about it, and, you know, he needs to tell her, you know, be for real. Yeah, you know, don't... like like what Kanye West was saying, don't be a gold digger. <laughs> More or less. Why don't we go ahead and listen to Teddy Pendergrass uh, reciting this part of the monologue from Be For Real. Hey lady, can I say something to you for a minute? Please? No, now, before you take your coat off, that's it. I've got something to tell you. See, what I have to say is so very important to our relationship. Why is it every time we go out on the town and get around my friends? Man, you're always talking about what you got. What I done bought for you, how much money I make, and what school our children go to, and all the fancy clothes, and the big pretty cars, and the big diamond rings, and the fantastic mink coats. Is you for real? No, I don't think you are. It's so funny because Harold and the Blue Nights were, were pretty darn popular in the early 70s. And those songs like this that basically are instructing people or telling the listener just from this perspective, you know, you need to not focus on material things and just be a real person. Yeah. And just how far transcendent that is from like today's popular rap music, which is just <laughs> completely like misogynistic, voyeuristic, mm. opulent. Yeah. Whereas before they were focused much more on, not on material things, but on people and their passions and drives. Now it's all like, I got the rims this Spain. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah, actually, speaking of uh, contemporary music, do you want to tell us about our last song that we chose for today? Yeah, the last song that cropped up in my head because I was just listening to his uh, most recent album is Bobby Womack. Because he had that new album that came out like a year, year and a half ago called um, Greatest Man in the Universe. And, and fun a, fact, this is the song, one of the, the main song from this album was the very first song we talked about in this entire show. Oh, yeah, because we did a review. Yeah, that's right. our first episode. So oh, we're coming full we're, circle. We're coming full circle, yeah. That's cute. <laughs> so, yeah, the, this particular song that I wanted to uh, go into was his song Dago Reflection, which features the now very famous uh, Lana Del Rey. Mm-hmm. And the intro is actually not Bobby Womack speaking, but it's actually recorded from an excerpt from a 1963 interview with Sam Cooke, 
from by the Magnificent Montague, which was actually a famous uh, R&B disc jockey notable for promoting soul music on KGFJ Los Angeles and WWRL New York City. And I guess he had a trademark catchphrase, burn baby burn, which became the rallying cry of the 1965 Watt Riots. Oh, this reminded me of that. I don't think it's about him, but I don't remember who it's based off. There was this amazing movie about this disc jockey in the 70s. Mm-hmm. He was a black guy who used to be in prison. He, he wanted to become a disc jockey. He kind of became the first quote-unquote shock jockey mm-hmm. in the mid-70s. And he was, uh, like, he, he played music, but he obviously also talked a lot over it as well. Mm-hmm. So he kind of would say these very inflammatory things that, you know, initially white people were like, whoa, man. Was it about a real guy? Yeah, it was based off a real guy. And I it might have been about this guy. Cannot remember the name. Maybe. Like I said, it just completely clicked that in my brain. Like, oh, I forgot that movie existed. That sounds like a cool movie, though. You I, know what it was called? No. I will do research, and I will see who this guy was. It might be an interesting thing to delve into later on. It would be interesting watching that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, famous actor played him, too. I'm just spacing out right now. I haven't seen the movie in, God, six or seven years. Okay. So, yeah, this this excerpt from this the uh, intro to this Bobby Womack song is actually Sam Cooke speaking. Not Bobby Womack, obviously, showing that uh, Bobby Womack looked up to uh, Sam Cooke a great deal, very idealistically. The quote, I guess, being actually from Sam Cooke, is, quote, As a singer grows older, his conception grows a little deeper, because he lives life and he understands what he's trying to say a little more. If a singer tries to find out what's really happening in life, it gives him a better insight on telling the story of the song he is trying to sing. Yeah. Uh, a little bit bitter, a little bit bittersweet with that quote, because he did die so early in his career. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah, this said, this was an excerpt from 1963, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he passed away very early 1964. That could very well be true. Maybe even maybe even late 1963. So that's that's kind of haunting that that was in the same year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's listen to a little clip of the intro to Dago Reflection, so you can hear Sam Cooke speaking as well as kind of how that leads into the song. Actually, what we should do to to slightly correct you because I didn't tell you the intro to this song only says half of what you just read oh. um, but it, it repeats it again some, like, somewhere in the middle and then it says that whole thing oh. so uh, we might as well since, since you read the whole thing we might as well play listen to the part that shows the, the whole thing yeah okay I got you as the singer grows older his conception goes a little deeper because he lives life and he understands what he's trying to say a little more the singer uh, tries to find out what's happening in life. It gives him a better insight on telling the story of the song he's trying to sing. It's definitely a really good way to kind of sum up Womack's album as a whole. As we said, The Bears Man in the Universe came out last year. And he's been in the industry for over 50 years. And really kind of, unlike other artists who just fall back on what they know and what made them famous, he continues to reinvent himself. And this quote kind of reinforces this understanding of his music and how... Um, his work has more meaning as he lives longer and becomes more wiser to the ways of the world. Yeah, I definitely have a lot of respect for him. Yeah, as no, he's, he's one of the few artists that have stood the test of time and are continuing to like produce good stuff, not just, yeah. oh, that sounds exactly like he did 30 years ago. It's like it's completely takes new genres, new ideas, and re-infuses re- them into his, into his original sound. Yeah, well, I mean, that's really the only way that you can last that long is you have to be... Yeah. You know, updating yourself. I, Rolling Stones, like, they changed with the times. They did disco, they did country, they did, like, dance music. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, the only, yeah, exactly. The only way you can last half half a century 
is to really roll with the times. Yeah. Adapt. I'm deeply, deeply interested in trying to find the vinyl of that. That would be cool. Yeah, because it sounds amazing, and I just can't imagine how it would sound on vinyl. <laughs> it blow my mind. Yeah. With, with all the... Something I want to... A comment I want to make with all the songs that we've been talking about today, I mean, it's a really interesting cross-section of the music, because, I, mean, no, I mean, almost no two of these songs that we talked about are, like... Mm-hmm. It's just it's so weird because I mean, it crosses styles and mm-hmm. you know time periods. You know, it's it's an interesting thing. I think most people don't really think about is how a monologue can reinforce the message of your song. And Agreed. you know, all the different, the completely different artists that have used this. It's just kind of a, a funny side thing that you don't really think about. Yeah, yeah, like like we were saying before, it's. Even though we're focusing on these songs that, for some of them at least, are pretty famous, like no one really pays much attention to the monologues yeah. and how they really kind of help reinvigorate the song as a whole. Yeah, I think, sure. I think it ended up being kind of interesting. I learned a few things. I did as well. I you learned. Were, that, we hope you did too, with listeners. I learned about the origins of Maggot Brain. And I learned that Clarence Carter is blind. I was just about to say that. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, if you guys can think of any other songs that we don't know of or we didn't mention that even that have monologues, mm-hmm. feel free to reach out to us on Facebook at facebook.com/getyourfunk. Comment on because we are also on iTunes. Just search yes. Funk Radio with the first one that comes up because no one does funk like we funk. That's true. Uh, you know, obviously our ultimate goal is always to get more listeners and get more people into the funky family and to you know and to interact with you as well. Um, yeah. Whereas where where the Facebook thing you know works. Yeah, exactly. Too, we, obviously. Yeah, we want it. We want to make it an interactive sort of experience, yeah. not just like oh, you listen to us every week. We want you guys to participate as well. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have any uh, comments about how how you like the show, be sure to tell us on Facebook. And if you have ideas for future topics, especially, um, let us know. For sure. So yeah, um, this has been your host Kyle. And this has been your host, Peter. Thank you very much for listening to Funk Radio. We love you. We do. We hope you love us, too. Why don't you love me? Tell us on Facebook why you don't love Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, you'll listen to us next time. You will listen to us next time. <laughs> well, I don't want to say see, see you next time, because we won't be seeing anybody. Yeah. It's kind of true. sad. What's, what's that thing that Mr. Rogers always ends with? Um, something about a neighbor yeah like thank you for coming to our neighborhood something like that well thank you for coming to our neighborhood we're gonna end it now okay bye bye for more podcasts and the latest news in gaming movies and entertainment visit 8thCircuit.com